welcome to episode 30 of the Bike Pack, Bike Packing, Bike Pack Canada podcast with yours truly, Ryan Corey. Uh, thanks to everyone who provided feedback on uh, last week's uh, Bike Packing Secrets uh, podcast. Uh, apparently the talk of, of beer and weed, so I think point number 20, uh, seemed to be a good conversation starter. We got the most uh, comments, the most feedbacks, and um, I don't have a qu- quite a good handle on the analytics so far, but I think actually possibly the most listens of, of any podcast initially. Uh, so good to know. Uh, thanks also to the folks that have uh, started buying up the new stickers that we have on the site. Uh, there's the bike packer bar, uh, half joke behind the scenes, half reality that we've uh, been researching how to make a thousand calorie bar. Uh, so it starts as a sticker and, and who knows where it goes from there. Uh, the other, our new eat, sleep, ride, uh, great divide in, in honor of the, the tour divide race that's going on. Um, I'm really looking forward to that one. I'm really happy with how that turned out and it should be arriving on our uh, doorstep in Canmore this week and uh, shipping out uh, soon after. And we've already got a bunch of orders, uh, which is awesome to see and designed in-house, I should say. And when I say in-house, I literally mean in our house <laughs> by us. <laughs> So it's, it's made with love. Um, speaking of in-house, uh, uh, our guest today is uh, my wife, Sarah. We didn't have to go too far for this interview. It's getting desperate. Yeah. Uh, the two of us uh, met online, for those of you that don't know, uh, back in 2011. Um, and then soon after moving to Canmore, uh, but a year ago now, or just over a year ago now, I convinced Sarah to uh, trade in her triathlon racing bike and to take up mountain biking. Um, one, it's because that's where my passion is and something we could do together. But just, you know, the realities of where we live, like if you're going to go anywhere on a road bike of any distance, you have the Trans-Canada Highway and the Legacy Trail to some degree. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's it's definitely an area that's more conducive to uh, mountain biking. So she traded it in. Um, and, uh, on the, on the topic of, you know, taking up a new discipline and the learning curve, uh, we'll tackle the hesitations, uh, the misconceptions, uh, for rookie riders and, uh, see, uh, how Sarah, if she has, I think she has, how she's taught herself to navigate some of these new waters. And, uh, I think just a good conversation. I think many rookie riders, uh, will appreciate, um, just you know talking about hesitations and how someone deals with it and you know because quite often we talk about how it's all peachy and we've got it all figured out and uh yeah i certainly do not yeah <laughs> so well, hopefully i can entertain your bikepacking folk with my very limited experience i think so <laughs> if not don't worry you're not getting fired <laughs> all right let's get into it um so when was the first time you ever mountain biked on a trail just like plain old mountain biking. Yeah, so not the first time that you were on a mountain bike, but uh, first time that you were like actually on a, a gravel. Oh, or, well, or I'm good. sure there have been many times where I kind of like ended up on gravel. Uh, I do remember way back when, when I was more into Iron Man and that stuff, and you took me on big chunky gravel on my Cervelo, and I nearly died because I thought my bike was going to crack. Um, so, you know, there were little things like that here and there. I think somewhere along the lines, we went camping, um, in Tobermory when we were living in Ontario and, uh, I borrowed your cross bike and we went on a trail. And again, I thought I was going to die. That was very foreign to me. That was the first time I kind of rode any trail purposefully, um, so yeah and then beyond that I think we did like a few little like kind of gravelly stuff rail trail super simple stuff in Ontario um, here and there but coming out to Canmore was the first time I kind of made the conscious choice to go on dedicated mountain biking trails and backtrack for a second so you know coming from triathlon you had some initial kind of fears from from just riding on the on the road in in general right oh yeah I didn't enjoy that that I never liked that part of it at all yeah Mm -hmm. so did the prospect of mountain biking did it you know like was it immediately appealing or did it just open up a new set of of concerns 
Uh, no, that was definitely like a big part of it, wanting to get off the road. I mean, coming up here, it's a lot less busy too. We were living in, you know, a fairly good sized city, um, you know, Burlington, Oakville area, quite busy roads. So riding around the roads, you know, when I was training for triathlon, I never really enjoyed that. I would rather like ride on a trainer for three or four hours than go out on the road. So yeah, switching to mountain biking, that was a big part of it. But then, like you said, once you get on the trails, you know, there's some other concerns and, you know, it's more technical than you're used to. But having said that, the other thing I really liked about uh, getting a mountain bike was just how sturdy it felt and, and a lot more comfortable. Like, I can toot around town on my mountain bike. Like, you're not going to see me down on, like, my arrow bars going to get groceries kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I enjoyed that, too. Just more multi-purpose. So I, I can't quite remember, but at some point we decided that I probably wasn't the best coach for you as far as getting, you know, teaching you how to ride mm-hmm. more uh, advanced trails. Um so I, I think that's when you decided to sign up for uh, a mountain bike clinic. Mm-hmm. So tell us about what the clinic was and what it was all about. Yeah. Uh, well, I will say you are a really good teacher. I think that came probably from our days of riding on the road together and that, you know, very different abilities. But, um, yeah, I joined uh, a clinic here in Canmore. It was Shred Sisters, uh, an awesome instructor. Uh, I believe they have courses not only in Canmore, but Banff, Calgary, maybe even Golden. Um, So that was like four or five weeks last summer. Once a week we met. Um, So yeah, that was really helpful. Like I took the beginner course and I was certainly like on the far end of beginner within that group on the spectrum. Um, But I still, you know, I learned a lot of the basics got to experience some of the trails in town that I probably wouldn't have gone out on my own to do. And yeah, just like a confidence boost, kind of learning those things, those basic things you need to know um, to get out on the trail. But it it wasn't just like it happened every week. Every week was a bit of a process. (laughs) tell, Tell us what that... Um, so I think I must have like a really low threshold for, um, you know, tolerating risk when I'm on my bike. I get pretty nervous. Like if it's technical terrain or really steep downhill, you know, I'm like, oh, I'll just get off my bike and walk. But being in a group setting and you're there to learn, you obviously like don't want to always default to that. So. You know, I was definitely pushing myself a little bit outside my comfort zone. And every week when my course would roll around, I got a little anxious, a little nervous because I always felt like I barely survived. I'd come home and would be elated telling you about my my course and everything I learned. But half of that was just I was happy that I survived. So, um, yeah, I, I'm a bit of a nervous rider, I guess you could say. So for someone who hasn't done a mountain bike course before, myself included, what kind of things can you expect over the the weeks that you were involved? Oh gosh, you're going to test my memory here. Um, Just, you know, position, like how you're seated, your posture, like standing, where, um, you know, how the pedals should be, should they be level, should you get one down and one up, that sort of thing, braking being a big one, you know, it's, you know, especially when you're a beginner and your tendency is just to throw on the brakes. Um, obviously you don't want to do that, you know, shifting your weight, um, cornering, um, going uphill, downhill, riding over, um, you know, rocks or big roots. Um, yeah, we did all sorts of things. I went on a teeter-totter my first night (laughs) I was pretty impressed with myself but yeah I also thought I was gonna die doing that but I didn't I did it it was fun it it kills me for those listening that there was always this piece of me that every time Sarah went out I I thought to myself if she crashes she might never ever want to do this again and she would come back each week you know, she went out very hesitantly, but she would come back very encouraged and, and excited and, and to some extent relieved, but she never had any bumps or bruises on her. 
And uh, I kept I kept waiting for it, and it never happened. It never happened. And you still haven't crashed, have you? I haven't had no any major crashes. That's for sure. I've still got some nasty scrapes and cuts and bruises, just um, little things here and there. But no, I haven't had a catastrophic crash yet. Knock on wood. <laughs> so I I don't think I ever asked you this, but did your instructors ever talk to you about? Like, what can be learned from crashing? Uh, I don't remember. I think it's kind of like the attitude that it'll probably happen at some point that you'll have a crash, but... Yeah. So, that's interesting, because... You know, I was... I I keep sort of rounding back to the idea of, like, if I was to coach something, what kind of things would I talk to them about? And, you know, one of the first podcasts we did was Ryan Draper down at Rebound, and... He has his own coaching business, which we chatted about. Um, but yeah, I think I would bring up the value of, of crashing and try to reinforce that it's going to happen and to to not get overly anxious about it. And the fact that quite often a lot of the crashes we have are not as catastrophic as you would think, mm-hmm. you know, because we're so accustomed mm-hmm. to seeing downhill crashes on YouTube, you know, crash fails. But there's... It's interesting because that's not something you can really teach in a course, but you can learn a lot about yourself and your bike handling by putting yourself in a position where you you do mm-hmm. end up crashing. You know, knowing what it feels like, because when when you see the 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 the, the result of of crashing, you know how to kind of dial back. You know your your effort just to the point right before where you did crash. So you know a good example would be. A very sharp turn. Mm-hmm. You don't. You'll never know how hard you can take that turn until you go too far. Until you go too far. It's oh, very deep, Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we should start developing a name for this deep coaching <laughs> business. Okay. So how many weeks ago, or how many weeks was that again? I think it was four or five weeks. Okay. Yeah. So did you come out of that feeling like a proficient mountain biker ready to take on the world? No, definitely not. And I honestly, like I could probably even benefit from taking the beginner one again, just to like reinforce those things. But it's kind of funny because I remember the group of girls there, they had a lot, not a lot. I mean, we're all in the beginner course, but compared to me, they had more um, experience. But, you know, having said that, if you, you know, we had been out riding on gravel and stuff like that, I could go for long distances. So I'm comfortable with that stuff now. And I, to a certain extent, I mean, and I was then, it's just kind of that technical, like true mountain biking kind of skill set that I'm still definitely working on and still a hundred percent would categorize myself as a beginner. Yeah. Um, so the, that course was last year, and then you just got back on the bike um, within the last couple of weeks. Did it, you know, it, to some extent for all of us, it, it feels like a, a foreign object, mm-hmm. you know, when we've been away from it for a while. But how did, how did it feel for you? Like, was it something you were excited to be back on? Did you... Did those any fears kind of swell up again? Or Oh, I was actually surprised that I felt like it hadn't been a while since I'd been on the bike. But having said that, like, you and I both, we ride, we get on our bikes very frequently. We're not, I'm not maybe, like, going out mountain biking every day, but, you know, we don't have a car, so I might just be commuting to and from town, so... Um, yeah, it didn't feel like terribly foreign to get back on the bike. And I was surprised at how many little things that I had picked up, you know, in my course kind of came back as second nature and kind of picked up where I left off. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was definitely beneficial to take. I would 100% recommend a course like that uh, for anyone who's starting out in mountain biking. Did In the course, did they talk about... Um riding with animals and bear safety or any of that or is that a whole other course i can't remember i want to say we were told to bring bear spray but um like i think that's just kind of a given when you live here in the mountains um so yeah nothing like in depth okay so focused on the bike stuff so um going down those lines last year i don't remember if it's a term you and I just kind of affectionately called, or if it was like a known term, but, um, last year it seemed like living in the Bow Valley 
we affectionately called it Bearmageddon. Because, um, you know, the, the local news is, is always animal news or tourist news. And la- last year, well, being our first year, it seemed to weigh quite heavily on uh, bear encounters. Mm-hmm. So we we're calling it Bearmageddon. And, you know, of course, all, all our single track trails are, are going through wildlife corridors and right where they're, they're living. Mm-hmm. Um, now, having been a, a city girl your whole life, how did it feel for moving from a, a city, so Oakville, Burlington, to, uh, to Bear Central? Were you, were you worried about the bears when you were riding at all? Oh, for sure, yeah. I, I don't think it felt that foreign, like, moving here, even though, like, you are much more, like, up against um, wilderness and wild things. But you still, you know, in the area that we live, in a residential neighborhood, you still have that feeling of living away from it, even if you're not. But definitely, like, getting on the trails, um, if I were to go on my own, which not really something I do a ton of, um, yeah, that's something that I thought about. I mean, we had um, an issue with a bear um, and, you know, a girl riding her bike, like, very close to where we live. So, yeah, definitely, that's top of mind. Would you say, like, now that we've been here for a year and a half and now that you've seen bears in the flesh, mm-hmm. would you say that there are some obvious misconceptions out there or are the fears justified? Like, what's your yeah. experience now on this? Uh, yeah, well, this is just coming from my experience. I am not, I have no, like, professional um, experience to be giving this sort of advice or whatever but yeah like you said I have seen a few bears now my girlfriend and I were um, hiking a few weeks ago um, in a backcountry trail and we came up upon a few bears and a giant uh, grizzly I heard yeah no it wasn't (laughs) I talked about this in the last podcast about how it's always a giant grizzly and how it's always an encounter but anyways it was a black bear uh, a few black bears, actually. But anyways, when you're out on a trail, you know, 20 kilometers from civilization, and it can be a little daunting either way. But anyways, having that experience, yeah, it's definitely, like, it was frightening in, in the moment. Um, Sana, my girlfriend, who I was with, and I were pretty, pretty scared being out there all on our own. Had our bear spray ready. We were holding it like a gun for probably two hours, ready to go with the safety off. But it was actually a really good experience because once, you know, the excitement of that settled, um, it was just good to have realized that maybe it's not as scary as you build it up in your mind. I mean, I know there are those outlier situations and you hear kind of some horror stories, but I don't think our situation was unique in that, you know, we encountered a bear, it saw us. And more or less, it left the trail and didn't want to have anything to do with us. So, um, yeah, having that experience and getting out there definitely has kind of eased my my nerves in that regard. Because I know that if I come into that situation again, it's something I can handle. Yeah. And now you carry, you've got uh, bear bells or the, the yeah, dinner bell. bell. <laughs> yeah, okay. So it's funny because when I bought the bear bell... I think people were kind of like, oh gosh, like these don't work. But actually, I bought it for when I was hiking with Sana. And, you know, if I was behind her and we're walking and I stop walking, she knows I've stopped walking because the little bell's not ringing. So for me, I actually like it for that reason. Like you can tell like how close you are to your partner. But anyway. Okay. So you you have the bear bells, you have uh, bear bear spray, which... You know, kudos to you guys because just taking off the safety and holding it in your hand is is probably further than most people go with bear spray. Yeah, it was because I, I don't know why. I was kind of afraid like if I took off the safety, I might accidentally spray it. But it's really a lot more straightforward than um, I think I had thought. So Yeah, and a side note, actually at the summit, we have a bear spray demo happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get to see... You know, how much spray comes out, how to hold it, you know, different concerns, you know, from the the people that are in authority positions that, you know, have experience with this stuff. So mm-hmm. bear spray, um, bear bells. And then was it on that hike also that you saw someone with um, a bear, banger. bear banger? Yeah. So um, after we encountered our first bear, 
our nerves finally started to settle, and then uh, we encountered another hiker who told us that there were more bears up ahead, so we got all nervous again, and sure enough, we were rounding a corner, and there was another bear right in front of us. Um, so we kind of left the area, went back the way we came, and we're kind of thinking about what to do when we heard a mountain biker hooting and hollering coming in our direction towards the bear. So, um, you know, a minute or two later, we heard a big bang, and he let off a bear banger, apparently got very close to the bear. Um, so, yeah, I've heard that bear spray is what you want to carry. There's differing opinions on the effectiveness and safety of bear bangers and bells so i'll yeah. stick to my bear spray i think the reality is with bears is you never know until you're in the situation mm-hmm. so as long as you're you equip be equipped with something like mm-hmm. give yourself a running start but you know as i said in previous podcasts my experience is bears are not hunting you down no no like if you're in camp and you have smelly food and and it's a time of season where they're um, extra hungry then like you're you're asking for it from it to some extent it's looking for food you have food yeah but i think being out on the trail it's your responsibility to be a responsible trail user and to have bear spray and be equipped to deal with that um for your safety but also for the bears yeah and any encounter i've ever had and i've this year I've seen more bears than I think I, I saw during Bear Mageddon. I didn't see any bears during Bear Mageddon. <laughs> yeah, well, I, this year, this season, I've already seen, I think, over 10. Mm-hmm. And um, it's it's always because I rolled up on them in a narrow forest area, a blind corner. They couldn't hear me. They couldn't see me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, fully understandable why that is. Okay, moving on, uh, Bear again. Um, so some of the mis- misconceptions are, are dispelled a little bit. You feel a little yeah, bit more I comfortable? Just, I guess like the media, as they do with many things, they blow things out of proportion. And yes, bears are here, which is kind of an obvious given. We should know that and just go prepared and, you know, don't let it get in the way of enjoying the outdoors, but, you know, be a responsible trail user. Good. So what was your first bikepacking experience? My first bikepacking experience... We may have chatted about this in our, the Q&A podcast we did about oh. our honeymoon. Did we chat about this? I don't remember, but yeah, I guess our honeymoon. It wasn't like a full-blown bikepacking experience. We um, utilized some luxuries of, you know, hostels and... Um, maybe a hotel or two there. But yeah, for our honeymoon, we um, got married in Banff and then rode up the Icefields Parkway to Jasper, over to Hinton, and then down the Forestry Trunk Road to Nordegg. Circled back around to Saskatchewan River Crossing. Um, so yeah, we stayed in hostels and hotels. We didn't camp, I don't think, did we? <laughs> well, we almost did. Yeah, we almost did. On- and we- we, I don't think we had our full supplies either, but we it was getting a little late in the day getting to Nordegg, I think. And it was raining and miserable. Yeah, we contemplated building a teepee in the forest. Yeah, so for someone, this is a good point because the, the race is coming up in, in, <laughs> in not too long here. So for someone that's never done the forestry trunk road mm-hmm. that thinks just because it's not in the mountains that it's, it's not going to be overly challenging, what would... What was your initial reaction? And I think I've, I seem to recall it came within a kilometer of leaving Hinton. What was your first thought? Well, okay, let's put things in perspective. When we went on our honeymoon ride, I had literally just bought my mountain bike a week before and had maybe been on it once or twice on pavement. So this was my first time kind of riding gravel for any length of time. Um, and I realized the AR700 is going to be coming the opposite direction. But, yeah, it was cool opening i thought you know we had just ridden the icefields parkway which you know it has its climbs but um i was surprised at the amount of ups and downs on the forestry trunk road and we just did the section between hinton and nordeg from what i understand nordeg south um is even more difficult so yeah that was a little eye-opening for me that was quite the experience and we didn't have the best weather um so yeah, we contemplated camping out that that night. 
But we did. With an improvised shelter, nonetheless. With an improvised shelter, yes, because we had planned on staying in hostels and hotels. We didn't have our camping stuff with us. So. We're, we're doing our best not to have a domestic, and I'm trying to turn it into a situation where, like, look how fun it is. We could build a shelter, like, where young kids playing you know in the what? forest. We did good. It, it was, um, it was eye-opening. I wouldn't recommend just going in, like, with no training or anything doing that or having never really ridden your bike but all things considered it was an adventure we we had fun <laughs> yeah and you you'd never bike toured before right like no not really okay so the, the idea yeah the idea of carrying any kind of weight on your bike other than yourself was right a foreign concept yeah okay it was all new. But Ryan thought this was a great idea. <laughs> Actually, it was our backup plan. We were supposed to go hiking in the mountains, but we were naive to the amount of snow on the mountains, so bike packing or bike touring became our, our plan B. But it was a lot of fun. I yep. had a really good time. It was. We worked well together as a team. We We, we tried. Made an made an extra special. <laughs> Sarah's giving me this look. Watch your words. <laughs> No. You're having trouble finding the right words. No, it was a, a, a you know, if, if you're going to do that at any point where you have to, like, learn to exercise patience and learn to work together, there's no better time than your honeymoon as a as a forced exercise <laughs> to some degree. Sure. Um, yeah, okay, so we came out of that uh, unscathed where, where, you, where you inspired by this new idea of bikepacking or... Did, well, like, did you catch a bug right away or not catch a bug? To be honest, like, to me, I don't, I'm not saying if you stay in hotels that you're not bikepacking, but that didn't really feel like bikepacking to me. Okay, fair enough. Um, I would say that felt more like bike touring. So um, I enjoyed being able to ride and go long distances and have it get get you to a new place. I'm very much a destination rider, so, like, I like to go somewhere. Um, but I think, if anything, it left me more intrigued to kind of experience that, um, you know, a little bit more backcountry, I guess, or not even backcountry, but camping, I guess, is what I'm trying to say, mm-hmm. instead of hotels. Hotels are nice, so every once in a while, you know, oh, take, sure. take out pizza. Don't get me wrong, that's all great. I'm just saying, having only done the hotel side of it up until that point, I think I was eager to kind of experience, like, carrying your tent and all that kind of stuff and setting up at the end of the day and sleeping outside. I randomly was just thinking back to the last podcast, how I said that if you're uh, if you're in your bivy sack or your tent and your alarm goes off at some awkward hour in the morning you don't immediately get up that the race is already over for you i was just thinking about you know how some of my favorite experiences on the divide is is when you're totally depleted exhausted and can't imagine going on and then you find a hotel room and you're able to to order in pizza (laughs) you're allowed to do that once and you can still win the race that that's what i'm telling myself in my head right now i can't imagine (laughs) not having that experience having that experience once that's part of it for you even if you have to get going again at three in the morning well, you, you had a bed for a few hours and some pizza. That's right. Um, so had it not been for my initial run on the, on the Tour Divide in um, 2012 and, and, well, I guess the preparation leading up to it a year in advance, I think it would be pretty safe to say that uh, you would never have heard of the term bikepacking. It's no. still pretty, like it's not part of the normal lexicon, adventure lexicon. Mm-hmm. And uh, now we have the, the summit that we jointly organize. Mm-hmm. We had our, our tour that we ran along the, the divide that people keep pestering about, me about, about doing again. Um, and I guess I, I'm curious, what have you learned about the community in the last five years? Like, what are kind of some of the standout things that you think mm-hmm. might be unique to the, the bikepacking community, say, opposed to the... The triathlon community. <laughs> um, well, the very first thing that comes to mind, um, I guess, is just how laid back and kind of welcoming and open to new people. And I think everybody says that about their sport, like triathletes, nothing against triathletes, but, you know, 
they say the same thing. We're so welcoming. It's everyone, all ages, all shapes and sizes. And that's true. But I really feel like that's a standout for the bike packing community that I've seen. And, you know, I don't know, maybe that's because it's like a newer branch of cycling. So everyone, to some extent, is fairly new to this. And you have a lot of people trying it out for the first time so kind of like everyone's in it together kind of testing the waters and trying new things um but yeah for me that's definitely something I've noticed like it really is like people from all different walks of life different ages um you know and then like even looking at like gear kind of everyone has you know a different kind of bike and there's no like one right way to do things it's kind of everyone you know, does it their way. You kind of take the best ideas and share ideas, but um, there's no, like, one right way to bike pack, I guess. No, fair enough. I, I'm just, just thought to ask this, but, you know, turning it back into our own home, mm-hmm. what, how have you seen my interpretation of bike packing? would you say, as, as my partner and my wife? How have you seen that change? over the last five years, six years, we'll say. Your interpretation of backpacking? Well, so it it started as, you know, this one race, and that's all I knew about. So how have you seen my interest evolve? And as as somewhat of an objective kind of outside story sharing, you know. Um, Well, it definitely, when you got into it, it was all about the Tour Divide, and it was you racing the Tour Divide, and... You know, there was a small group of people that met in Banff in June and did that race. And that was like the community as far as you were concerned and I was concerned, really. But I think at least it appears that in the last five years, um, you know, you've just become it's become a bigger community and you're more in touch with it. And it's not just about you um, doing this one race or a selection of races. It's kind of you know, more of a community thing, like, um, leading the conversation, you know, getting people together. And it's not just about the tour divide or just about a race. It's kind of creating a whole community and lifestyle, I guess that goes along with it. Would I, I, I get, you know, some people might know the, the amount of time that goes into this and the, the passion, but would you say it's an obsession I hesitate to use obsession with you because I think if I were, you would be obsessed about a lot of things. That's just the way you are when you're interested in something. You really dig into it, and um, especially moving to a new community, Canmore, in the last year. Like, you're not one just to, like, sit back in a community. You want to become a part of it and a contributing member of it. Um, So... Yeah, I don't know. I do actually find myself saying that you might be obsessed with the Tour Divide only because it's the only thing I'm aware of that you've done more than once. And then we grew this whole mountain bike tour out of it. And there are all these branch off things that, yeah, it wouldn't necessarily, it's an obsession in like an unhealthy way, but just something you're really passionate about. On a related note and kind of a funny aside is um, whenever... Sarah leaves me alone for a night. Like she goes off and does a hike or, you know, is visiting family or whatever. She always says, you know, one of her parting thoughts is, I hope you watch all the movies and things that you keep saying you want to watch and just do what you want to and have a bachelor night. And um, my last night alone was you were out with the ladies on your bike packing trip to, to Bolton Creek. Um, was it last weekend? Mm-hmm. Yeah, last weekend. And I got really entranced in this idea of making a great divide sticker and I stayed up till 1130 at night divide designing that sticker that you see on the site. Sounds about right. It sounds very simple, but I I love it. I, I, I get upset. It's not an obsession. You, yeah, maybe it is. I don't know, but just Ryan is a huge movie fan, but like getting him to watch a movie sometimes is way harder than it should be for someone who always says, I know, can't you see enough movies? (laughs) (laughs) You never watch them when you have a chance to. Yeah. I'm getting sucked into what my dad would say. I I prefer the story of life. (laughs) Crafting my own story. (laughs) I make stickers, dad. (laughs) 
It's now one of the most profitable items on bikepack.ca. <laughs> Stickers. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding, by the way. Anyways. Um, okay, so... Okay, so you, you just, like we said, we just got back from um, a weekend away with the ladies. You, mm-hmm. Where did you go? How long did you go for? Yeah, so it was a... Well, just a quick overnight trip. Um, a group of four of us. Awesome group of gals. Who, who went? Who went? Tell us. We had yours truly. Um, myself. <laughs> Penny. Penny Lawless? Penny L. Maybe they don't want their names. I don't know. From BAM. Oh, they love hey, it. Hey, Penny. <laughs> um, we had Jackie. Jackie came um, from Edmonton, and we know Jackie through the Great Divide Mountain Bike Tour that we ran, as well as Joanne from. Whoa, whoa, back up for a second. You got to give props to Jackie. Jackie is fresh off doing the Dirty Kanza. Hey, I was getting. Oh, okay, sorry, sorry. Hey, <laughs> I was going to say our our other uh, person was Joanne from calgary and we also know joanne from our great divide mountain bike tour so yes jackie is fresh off the dirty kanza on her brand new salsa cutthroat you guys are bike twins we have the exact same bike exact same color and that was not planned sure sure (laughs) um so yeah it was the four of us we headed out from canmore on saturday morning penny rode in from banff so she got a little extra warm up in there um, if anyone's familiar with Canmore, we went up White Men's Pass. So this is, well, that part anyway is part of the AR700, yeah. although you'll be coming the opposite yeah. way this Yeah, bombs year. come downhill this year. Yeah, exactly. So up White Men's Pass to the top, um, you know, where the Goat Creek Trailhead is and the Hauling Trailhead. And um, from there we rode, well, I'm going to say the Smith Dorian, but we went a little bit on the West Side Road. We rode next to the reservoir. We did a short sin on the High Rockies Trail um, out to Bolton Creek um, Campground. And, yeah, we had a great time. A lot of fun. So that's this, was it, the second time you've had packs on your bike since our honeymoon? Third time. Because we did an overnighter to Bolton Creek last year, too. Ah, right. Okay, yes. Yeah, so with a different group of people, but... Uh, Ryan lent me his Apodura bags. Um, only a few. I'm a little bit... <laughs> I won't call myself a weight weenie because I'm probably not truly a weight weenie, whatever that means to people. But, um, you know, I resisted taking the seat bag because I would much rather be light than comfortable, <laughs> apparently. Um, so anyways, you, you lent me your bags and we headed out. I think it's like roughly 75K from Canmore. I could be off... Um, set up camp, had a fire, lots of laughs. What, what was for dinner? <laughs> you had to ask, didn't you? You had to embarrass me. No, this is going. This is going somewhere. Um, so because I didn't want to carry a lot, I didn't bring a stove or anything like that. Um, I fed myself at the trading post at the campground. So I had Mr. Noodles, which is kind of a thing that I do when I go there. I have Mr. Noodles. I know it's really bad, but it's kind of my little, I don't know why, my All little right. treat. I, don't, I wouldn't worry about justifying it. You're preaching to the choir right I now. know, but it's junky. Um, anyway, so yeah, I had Mr. Noodles for dinner. All the other ladies had jet boils and, and proper like dehydrated meals, and um, I had my chintzy Mr. Noodles, and we had some snacks. And so you, you had uh, some uh, camp neighbors, too, that we know, too, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, actually, that was really a fun coincidence. So the one thing I like about riding that route, which, although I've only done twice now, you always see people at this time of year that are riding the divide. So they are not part of the race, necessarily. But So we did bump into a bunch of people that were going, well, a few people that were going all the way down to Mexico, but we also ran into two ladies who were at the summit last year, and they were also doing an overnight uh, trip to Bolton Creek, and they ended up being in the campsite right across from us. So, and was was cool. it them that had a comment for you about your packs? Oh, there was a comment like, "Where's all your stuff?" Because I only had like the front roll, a backpack, and then like a few little packs on the top tube. 
Um, yeah, so I think people were wondering where all my stuff was because I didn't bring a stove or pots or, like, those kinds of things. Yeah, you, you have to understand who she lives with. I, I, I would much prefer to use that space for a giant burrito. <laughs> so I, I think it's it's possibly rubbed off a, a little bit. Is Maybe. That... I just, I don't want, like, you know, because bikepacking is new to me, I'm kind of, like, one of the things that I'm cautious of is a lot of weight. And this is one of my first rides of the year really like I mentioned we commute back and forth to town all the time on our bikes but this was my first like actual ride so I was a little worried about you know how I would fare um, and didn't want to bog myself down with a lot of weight on the bike so so riding with riding with the ladies obviously you have kind of security numbers and if anything goes wrong you can um you know, support one another and figure, figure things out. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you're at the point now where you would feel comfortable doing, you know, an overnight ride on your own or like, what are kind of some of the hesitations that still exist? The biggest hesitation for me is my very, very, very limited mechanical skills, experience, knowledge. That's the biggest limiting factor for me. Um, you know, like a ride like we just did with that group of girls is not terribly technical, so I'm okay there. But um, besides enjoying the company of um, a good group, yeah, mechanical stuff. Like if something goes wrong, I can fix a tire and I can <laughs> lube my chain. <laughs> but realistically beyond that... Um, I don't really know what the heck I'm doing. So, yeah, I'll just be completely honest. Like, if anything goes wrong, um, you know, I'm not going anywhere. Well, okay, so that's the point of this, right, is to, to just be honest about what some of those hesitations are. So would I be overstepping my thought process in, in suggesting that you weren't alone in possibly, like why you like to travel in a group right now like I don't know what everyone else's like motivations are I kind of like for us doing that trip on the weekend it wasn't necessarily like let's go together so we can be comfortable it was like let's go together so we can spend time together that's what it, the main thing was we just wanted to have a good time with a few girls and have some laughs but definitely that adds um, a layer of comfort they were all like more experienced in terms of mechanics than I am. I like I don't yeah, I don't know very much. That's my own fault. I default to you a lot because you kindly offer to do things for me, um, which is fantastic, but you know, and I'm gonna regret saying this because now you're never gonna do anything for me. Well, no, but I am stepping back though. Like I've stopped I've kinda stopped saying Yeah. Like you have to ask me if you you know yeah. And, you know, admittedly, I get a little lazy. I'm like, will you leave my chain for me, blah, blah, blah. You know, I can do those things, um, and that's, like, the most simple of simple things to do. But I could benefit from, you know, taking a course or something. And I think I took one or two when we lived in Burlington at uh, Mac. But, yeah, I could definitely benefit from learning more about my bike basic repairs and stuff like that because that would if I were to say what's like the one limiting factor if I were to want to go out on my own that would probably be it so the, the bike so okay that's interesting because you have an adventure plan this year that has nothing to do with the bike and right. so obviously you don't seem held back by anything kind of related right. to what's on your person it's it's the bike exactly. that's the so, question mark yeah I'm going on a long distance solo hiking trip in August and where are you going going to France um going to hike the Grand Traverse of the Alps so uh, about 650 kilometers up and over the Alps from Geneva to Nice and it'll take you know about a month um so yeah hiking and uh, bikepacking like to me they accomplish the same thing in terms of like liking to get outside go for an adventure you know go somewhere um, so they appeal to me in the same way and I'm comfortable hiking on my own I think more than biking on my own because of you know to strap on some hiking boots and go but there's more that can go wrong with a bike yeah well um, 
again, I might be overstepping my bounds. I don't think I am, but even most people on the divide, probably their mechanical knowledge starts and ends with, I can lube my chain, I can pump up my tires, I can mm, fix. I would sure hope it's better than mine. Uh, it might be a bit, but <laughs> I bet if, if you really, like, so going back to like coaching style, like I think there's a big difference between telling someone how to mm-hmm. do these things. You know, I can sit in a course all weekend and be told to do things, and but it. yeah, until it, something goes wrong and you're forced to figure it out on your own, you're never really going to kind of connect all the dots. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So the, the bike's kind of the hesitation, but mm-hmm. you know, like from what all that I'm seeing is, you know, like let's boil it down to the basics. Um, so aside from the bike, you, you know, you, you know how to set up a tent. Mm-hmm. You feel comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. You know how to start a fire. Mm-hmm. Relatively, yeah, yeah. Like, and we started one on our anniversary the other day with all. It was all wet material, and we had to work. I couldn't even get it on my own. It was you figuring it out by just continually lighting paper until we finally got something. Yeah, there's obviously better ways, and but yes, I can start a fire. <laughs> yeah, I'd already thrown up my hands in the air and <laughs> give it up. But okay, so you know how to light fire, um, stoves. You feel relatively comfortable around? Yeah, totally comfortable. We have our little stove. Uh, I forget what it's called. Just a little Primus trail yeah. stove, tiny little thing. Yeah, good there. Maybe not so much the the MSR. The ones that you have to pump? Yeah. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> Jet boil, little pocket rocket stoves. I'm good. Yeah. And as long as you're somewhere where you can get that fuel, I think, yeah, you're... You're good to go. You don't have to worry too much about that. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so flipping kind of the situation around, is there something that you've learned from the well, the extensive amount of time that you've put into pouring over maps and researching gear, which, you know, anyone that knows Sarah, if you need something researched, she'll... I quickly make decisions based on what I see right in front of me. Sarah will research... <laughs> the whole environment around her yeah. and make um you'll end up sleeping somewhere more comfortable and more interesting but it might take a little longer to get there but long story short what is what are some things you've learned from your research now that you can kind of bring back to the bike packing world um i don't know packing or, yeah, or packing, equipment again like i said i have the same hesitations with hiking as i do with um, bike packing in terms of packing, and I would much prefer to go without some luxuries um, and have a lighter pack than to overpack. So that's something um, that, you know, I guess thinking about what I was going to pack for my trip in August is carried over into bike packing. Um, clothing, like I always kind of got the basic principles of layering and that sort of stuff, but. Um, this year, uh, we saved our pennies, and I kind of invested in, and still am, some good gear. Shout out to Patagonia, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. Ninety percent of uh, the things I got from Patagonia, but that I just did a lot of research on, you know, what I was looking for, what you know each layer does, what you're looking for, synthetic, down, like just kind of research that stuff, probably like to death more than your average person. Like you said, I have Googleitis. I just like to research everything. Um, so that carries over because, you know, to a certain extent you dress very similarly, you know, obviously you might have some bike shorts or whatever in there, but uh, the whole layering, the principles of that are the same. Let's, well, why don't we use a, a specific example? So it just came to mind something that I don't have any experience with, but now you are better researched on me is she's giving me this look. She's like, what is it? Sleeping bag liners. Oh, yeah. Well, that one's not like anything too crazy. And that's just something that I've just recently decided. But no, okay. So take a step back because I don't think your average person knows what we're talking about. So what is. From what you've researched, what is a sleeping bag liner? Why would you need it or, or, or want it? Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, what are, yeah, what have you researched? Tell us. Let's give a, a an example. Oh, okay. Well, I'll just say why I decided to buy one, which I literally just bought it online last night. Um, 
So we have a really great ultralight sleeping bag that packs down super, super small. I think it's rated to minus three, but I don't know. Like, I don't know if it's just me. I'm a bit, I'm just cold. (laughs) So I'm not sure about that rating. So um, there's two reasons really why I thought getting a sleeping bag liner would be a good idea. Um, And the major one is to add a bit of warmth. It's not going to add a ton of warmth. And depending on what material liner you get, um, like we got a silk one just because it packs down a lot smaller and is a lot lighter. Like compared to what? You can get cotton. You can get, um, you know, ones that are cotton and silk. You can get fleece. There's like, it runs the gamut, right? Obviously, like a fleece one's going to be a lot bigger and heavier. And, you know, within that, there's different technologies. Like there is as anything. But, yeah, to add a little bit of warmth, but also like if you're a traveler and this is kind of something more important in the hiking side of things, at least for what I'm doing, is, you know, if you're sleeping in, like, a hostel or a refuge where, you know, maybe the sheets aren't cleaned every day or they look a little nasty, you can sleep in your liner and kind of have some peace of mind knowing that you're sleeping a bit cleaner. But, oh, yeah, the other thing, too, is keeping your own sleeping bag clean because, as we all know, you kind of, like, sweat and you can get, like, a little grimy and then you're going in your bag and all your body oils are you know, getting on your sleeping bag. Oh, I, these are things that just I, I toil with as I'm doing the divide. I, yeah, exactly. So anyways, I don't know if it's something you would pack on the divide because, you know, maybe that's too much of a luxury, but to, yeah, extend its warmth, extend the life of the sleeping bag by keeping it cleaner, and a liner is a lot easier to clean than a down sleeping bag, and then also for traveling. Well, here's what I like about it, and maybe you can answer one of the questions is, um, I, I often don't sleep warm enough through Canada in Montana. Like I'm, I'm always just on the verge, but it keeps me up enough that I feel like I should maybe be a bit warmer. Mm-hmm. So I like the idea that you could put something in your sleeping bag that you don't necessarily have to include once you get to more temperate or, or warmer climates. Mm-hmm. Like you have the option of, of doing that. Whereas if all you have is the warmer sleeping bag, you're stuck with that. You're stuck with it, right? So one that makes sense to me. And the other way too, like if you get down to New Mexico and it's hot, 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 you can just sleep in your liner too. It, okay, yeah. So this is my next question. The the liner that you got, mm-hmm. um, w- remind me, what's it rated to or what does it say? I can't remember the one I got. I think said it adds like six or eight degrees of warmth. So yeah, where where I'm curious to know more about is is that dependent on the liner being inside the down? So. Yeah, because if it oh, if it could do that just on its own, why wouldn't I just take that? And I'm already warmer. Yeah, no, I think it's probably to a sleeping bag, but I mean every sleeping bag's different, so I don't. That's probably just like an average because yeah, not everyone's gonna have the same quality sleeping bag. They're not all made out of the same stuff. Yeah. But yeah, I think that I'm assuming that would be have to be in a bag hmm. to get that rating. But who knows? Maybe that's a fun little adventure for you to test out. <laughs> it, it will be done. So is it? It's it. Is it like the same size as the sleeping bag? Like, is it got like a yeah. mummy? Like it's gonna come over my head? You can buy mummy. You can buy regular rectangular ones. You can buy ones that have hoods. You can buy ones that go in double sleeping bags for people who like to cuddle with their partners. <laughs> um, yeah, there's all sorts of different ones. Kudos to those that can find the ability to cuddle on a hard hard <laughs> ground surface yeah. out in the woods. Um, okay, so yeah, good. Specific example, right? And I... I would be surprised if there's a lot of folks that know what a sleeping bag liner is all about. I've heard of it, but I never really thought about it too much. I've done the, all these bikepacking trips, and I've never once had a liner, right? And I, I'm never warm enough, so... I like to think most outdoorsy people are. Maybe not. I don't uh, I'm not sure. Comment below and tell us. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Last question. Okay, so as we always do, we put it up to our listeners to see if they have questions for our guests. And we had one question come in for, for you, Sarah, from our friend Jackie, Dirt, Dirty Kansas Jackie, <laughs> finisher. Uh, she wants to know, is uh, w- 
what's on your bikepacking wish list, if there is one? Hmm, like bucket list type thing? Yeah, I know it's not something you and I have necessarily talked yeah. about because I know the hike is kind of more your priority, but... Hmm. So one of your, we both work as like freelance workers. Like I, we say we work for hammer, but ultimately we're freelance workers. We do a lot of other jobs too. Mm -hmm. And one of your jobs is a travel agent or not travel agent, but you do social media for a travel company, right? Right. So you obviously have a, probably a bit more of an understanding of world geography and places to go. Mm -hmm. So apply that interest to the yeah. bike packing. Where where somewhere you'd like to really, possibly take a that's bike? That's tough. I like take my bucket list very seriously. I don't just put anything on my bucket list. Like you could buy me a plane ticket, and I would be like anywhere in the world, and I'd be content to go. Like I love traveling, but when it comes to that bucket list, I really have to like. There has to be like that connection. Like oh yeah, I gotta do this. I gotta go there, and I don't know that there's any where like in particular that really jumps out at me in terms of bike packing um i'd be lying if i said that the tour divide or the great divide mountain bike uh route doesn't intrigue me like not necessarily doing the race the race in quotations um or doing even the whole route but seeing more of it i mean being you know, with Ryan, who's done the race two times, going to do it a third time next year. Like, I'm sure spouses and significant others of people um, doing these kinds of races can appreciate that you you hear a lot about it. You get to know the race. You get to know the route. Uh, we ran the tour. We live, like, practically at the start. So there's definitely, like, an intrigue in seeing more of that route. Um, I think it would be a shame if I never did. So that's definitely on there, but I don't know, like maybe I'll come back from Europe uh, at the end of the summer and have something planned. Like I know you can ride from Geneva to Nice. Yeah. Uh, the route, I, it's like similar, not exact, but um, you can do the same thing by bike. I don't know. There's no one thing that really jumps out at me. So if I had to pick, it would probably be part of the Great Divide Mountain Bike Route. Hmm. Well, that, what what a unplanned uh, segue into. Uh, well, let's wrap it up and, and just. Well, thank you, Sarah. Wow. Oh, yeah. I guess. Do we make dinner now? <laughs> I feel. I hope that was like of some quality of interest for people. Like I, I don't know. You guys are all experienced bike packers. I well, feel so dull. Hey, this is bo- good bonding time. Think of it that way. Yeah constructive being able to talk and not mumble to one another and (laughs) yeah um okay so speaking of the great divide um we'll turn the conversation back to the the action uh thank you to megan dunn for um every day or so she's been sending me uh a very comprehensive update on all all that's going on with the canadian rider so make sure to check out our our facebook page in particular for the the tour divide 2017 uh updates um and i just pulled up trackleaders.com and uh i'm looking i've i've admittedly been kind of focused on the two folks out front so josh uh, caddo and uh brian lucido i think is how you say his name um they just left abby q so they're in new mexico um they've got a couple more days to go and josh is currently 2165 yeah he's he's kind of hovering in the range of uh 30 ish miles behind the leader so he's he's made up about 70 miles actually in the last uh i think two days here um so it's going to be a very interesting race to watch. It's not unlike the position he was in, um, I think, uh, in 2015, where he was just behind uh, Neil. And, you know uh, that that Brian guy, he's thinking about that. Yeah, no, trust me, it's not an enviable position to be in, especially if either of them have seen where the other is on track leaders, which despite whatever they may tell you, I would be surprised if they had not found out to some degree. But uh, this is going to be a very challenging uh, next couple of days. I, if you're in their shoes right now, folks, 
Um, there's only one way to win this race, and it's it's going to be the guy that sleeps less and doesn't totally fall apart. And uh, when you're still when you're still several hundred miles away from the finish, that that's a tough pill to swallow. Um, but like I said, fortunately, Josh has been in this position before, and um, as we've heard through the bike packer. Uh, updates through uh, Neil. He's been on course. Uh, we've learned that Brian has quite the extensive uh, touring background, so I don't think this concept is going to be foreign to him either. Um, but it's going to be quite the the race uh, to watch here. And uh, best of luck to both our our well, put to both the guys, but in particular our friend Josh. When uh, is this getting posted? What do you mean? This podcast. Oh, jeez. We, the winner might be decided. The winner's going to be decided. So let's... Oh, no. I was going to say take bets. Let's not do that. <laughs> no, no. Josh. <laughs> no. It, you know, either... I think either has a pretty good opportunity. I think they both have, have proved their weight. And, uh, you know, a lot of this is going to be luck to some extent. Who doesn't get a mechanical? Mm-hmm. You know, Josh has a tire that's, that's wearing low. And, you know, that... He, you know, all you need is a bad puncture to, to, to upset things. So best of luck to both those guys and everyone that's on course. Trackleaders.com. Once once they cross the finish, we'll still post those Canadiana updates as long as uh, Megan's or Megan's sending them our way. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been Episode 30 of the Bike Pack Canada Podcast.